Light this bitch up. <laughs> short time ago, an American airplane dropped one bomb on Hiroshima. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this. It's time to go out, kick some ass, and do whatever you can to inflict pain. Welcome back to the Cowboy Show, episode 141. Yes. If, if I may. On the last episode, you were telling how you talk to your wife about all the different shows you do. I was trying to explain this time in history to Heather's like, you got the British, they're lying to the French, they're lying to the Jews, they're going to betray the Arabs, the, the French are going to try to get in there, and they're going to try to betray everybody. And she starts rolling her eyes. And I said, okay, okay, think of it like playing three games of 3D chess all at the same time against different opponents. To which she said, what's 3D chess? And then I, re- I started to think, you know, maybe I married the wrong person. But <laughs> here I am. Here I am. It's a Catholic wedding. She's stuck. I'm stuck. Uh, and I didn't get her to sign a prenup. And with all this podcasting yeah. money, huge mistake. So there you yeah. are. I'm, I'll just, yeah. I'm strapped yeah, in. Stuck. I'm in. Yeah. yeah. No, no. She really married down. <laughs> and, and, and I do mean... <laughs> looking down at you while she married you. Hey, charity in any uh, form is, is fine with me. I'll you know, yeah. whenever I post photos of Chrissy on Facebook, I'm, I never get tired of people uh, commenting, telling me uh, how I punched above my weight. <laughs> like, uh, you know, yeah. look. Oh, it's true. Yeah, I don't need you people to tell me, look, you're <laughs> handsome. You look like George Clooney. All these, can, you, can you cut with the like... Jeez, man, you really fucked up. I mean, no, you really lucked right, out. I mean, right, whatever. You, right. you, you, basically, what the fuck is she doing with you? That's the question. Uh, I mean, yeah. I mean, I know that's true. We all know that's true. <laughs> but you don't. Come on. You don't have to keep fucking right. pointing it out. Like, every time. <laughs> it's been years. Every time yeah, I post don't. a photo. Yeah. yeah. We know. <laughs> yes, my wife's hot. But, you know, uh, so what? Yeah. I have I have things to offer. My tongue, basically, <laughs> my tongue technique. <laughs> Owen's. At least the tip of it. What are you doing with you? Like, right. it's, it's the tongue, right. dude. I've explained it many times. It's yes, the tongue. Yes, you have. Oh, no, 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 no. No, you've got to use the whole tongue. That's the secret of the Riley tongue technique. Tongue foo, as I call it. Tongue foo. You've got to master the arts of tongue foo. Oh, I'm waiting for the instructional video. I can't wait. I got it. I got it. It's gonna be hey, my. Guys, huh? It's gonna be my next T-shirt. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Tongue power. Tongue anyway. Mm. <sighs> so um, we were yeah we're talking about uh, the the British reasons for setting up uh, a British protectorate uh, under white people in uh, Palestine, right? To protect the Suez Canal, and I played a clip in the last episode from Lawrence of Arabia, where Lawrence is saying to General Edmund Allenby, along with uh, Dryden, uh, you know, uh, I've told the Arabs that Arabia is for the Arabs after this. 
And they're like, mm, yeah, 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 sure. <laughs> That's what Carol was. They called him not a politician. And if I could add a wrinkle to that, I'm not going to jump ahead, but just add a wrinkle to that. So I think it's um, the first time that the uh, there's a conference of the Zionists after the declaration, after the Balfour Declaration, and this is in December I think 1918, this conference gets together and a bunch of Zionists are voting and they and they vote 55 to one to say that they have no intention of just doing some kind of uh, community, Jewish community or whatever. We are going to purposefully set out to create and defend, if we have to, a Jewish state. So the British are lying to the Arabs. The Jews are not telling the British what they're going to do. you got the French still trying to get in there. Everybody's lying to everybody. But at the end of the day, it comes down to boots on the ground. Who's there? And as the French are going to find out, if you're not a part of liberating Palestine, you don't get any part of Palestine. Yeah. The British weren't just going to try and fuck over the Arabs. Fucking the everybody. The it's like they're an gonna, orgy. They're going to fuck <laughs> over the French as well. Right. Immediately after they, the British captured the, Palestine, uh, the Middle East from the Ottomans in October 1918, mm-hmm. under the command of General Allenby, with the support of Lawrence and his Sharifians, Hussein and Faisal right. and those guys... The British immediately tried to walk back the Sykes-Picot <laughs> agreement. They figured, look, we did all the hard work, right. and the Arabs, fuck the French. What are the? Why do the? It's a bit like Stalin after World War Two. Yeah. Why should I? When they were divvying up Germany, yeah, or Poland. Why should we share it with the French? Yeah, the French you. did fucking nothing. Fuck the French. Yeah, <laughs> they just pulled their pants back. Um, yeah, yeah. Come on, <laughs> and, and not even all the way. Um, now, the Russians, of course, at the end of World War I were busy with their own civil war, so they were out of the picture completely. Right. Uh, this whole Sykes-Picot agreement, Lloyd George, who was the Prime Minister of England still at the time, called it a factuous arrangement judged from any and every point of view, inapplicable and undesirable. Ooh, yeah. And at the end of the day, I think you just made this point, it's done. The British don't need the French anymore. So why in the fuck would I give you something that I earned? It doesn't make any sense. And they're not going to. Yeah. Yeah. The Secretary of the War Cabinet under Lloyd George, Maurice Hankey, <laughs> said that Lloyd George wanted to go back on the Sykes-Picot Agreement so as to get Palestine for us and to bring Mosul into the British zone and even to keep the French out of Syria. Wow. I actually have a recording of oh, uh, Maurice Hankey here. You like this? I'm hearing that. <laughs> Mr. Hankey? Howdy ho! Howdy ho, cow! Gosh, you're looking swell! Go away, Mr. Hankey. You know something, pal? You smell an awful lot like flowers. I said go away. My dad says you aren't real. <laughs> That's Mr. Hankey. That's right. No one believed he was real. <laughs> so uh, he would just turn up. So, so the British are going to try to keep the French out. They're going to go back or try to go back on the Sykes-Picot. They also want to bring Mosul into the British zone and keep the French out of Syria. And I'm thinking, with friends like that, I mean, do you need enemies? Because the the British are just like the the. 
as crazy and as tumultuous and as many deaths and as expensive as the war was, it's about to be over or it's over. And now it's time to grab everything while you can. And at the same time, elbow your <clears throat> allies out of the way. Yeah. Jeez. They had the balls, right. the British this is, to install a, a Hashemite administration, an Arab administration in Syria with Faisal. Right. Based running it out of Damascus. It wasn't until a couple of years later in 1920 that the British finally had to invade French to stake their claim. Sorry, the French yep. finally had to invade to stake their claim. Wow. To the uh, Sykes Picot Agreement. Now, the fact that the thing that I love about this is the sort of the justification in the League of Nations for this uh, British and French mandate. Right is that the uh, Arabs weren't ready for self-determination. Huh. Uh, they were already, already had a government up and running. Yes. For two years yes. when the French came in. They were like, but we're already <laughs> self-determined. No, well, no, no. Are you though? I can see the cracks. Yeah. Yeah. No. You're not really no. self-determining properly. Well, what's properly? Well, let me show you. When we let tell me, you. Let me show yeah. you. <laughs> when you do what we tell you, that's proper self-determination. You can't. Help. Self-determination by yourself. <laughs> how does that work? That's stupid. That's, and, and how yeah. awkward must have must have had been for the British, the French invade Syria because they literally know the British aren't going to help them in any way. But the British can't really physically oppose them. But it's still got to be an awkward moment between quote unquote allies. But you're right. The French literally had to go in with guns to get what they had been saying was theirs for years and the British had at one point had agreed with them that Syria was going to be theirs. They actually have to go in and take it. Yeah, it must have been tense around the breakfast table <laughs> at the hotel where the diplomats Hi. all had breakfast. Hi. Hi Jerome. Yeah. So uh Hey Carl. I see you. Yeah. See you. <laughs> so, uh, nice shoes. Get there. See you uh <laughs> Uh, I see you guys had to invade, huh? To yeah. get that thing that we promised you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Like had, had to sp spend money. Right. People died. I was to get get what you told us. We could just have. I was on your side the yeah. whole time, but you know the the upstairs. Yeah. Oh yeah. man, upstairs. It, but, it was all upstairs. It, I, I I argued. Yeah. I argued. Oh, I was I said, like listen. shaking my fist and everything. We promised. We, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said me bonus. Oh, oh, look. If there's anything more I can do for you in the future, you you don't you don't hesitate to call, right? All right, talk to you. So the, yeah. the British promised the French they would get Syria. Right. Then, then they gave it to Faisal <laughs> and promised Faisal, ah, it's all good, we'll take care of it, don't yeah. worry about it, we got your back. Yeah. Then the British, the, the, sorry, the French invaded, Faisal's like the British, hey. Uh, I lost my. You going to come and help? Yeah. Well, you, we, we, um, you know, he, he pulled out his marker from John Wick 3, <laughs> presented his marker I started watching John Wick 3 again last night. Right. Fuck. Greatest movie, man. Probably the greatest movie made in the last 10 years. Have you seen John no, Wick 3? No, I have not. Oh, God. I, it's the, this just it makes me so happy, that film. Like, it's just so, so fair, so great. Seriously, like when it comes out on Netflix or whatever, watch it. Man. Right. You've got to watch one and two to get the background, really. But, okay. Um, it's just so great. Anyway, he present, they presented their marker. And uh, they, you know, 
the British were like, oh, oh. Is there, sorry, that's expired. Yeah, look at the date it, on there, on the back. Well, there was, there's no date. No? There's no date. Oh. Wow, there, there <laughs> should have been a date. Sorry, that's... Oh, who's... Admin. Jim. Robbie. Jim. Damn it, Jim. Yeah, who was supposed to put a date? Look, I'm sorry. Stamp. This happens right. all the time. Egg on my I face. the date. Right. Yeah. yeah. Listen, I, listen, I'll go and I'll tell you what. Here's what I'll do. I'll go and talk to the boss right. for you. Would you like me to do that? I'll go talk to the boss. Yeah, please. Yeah, yeah. And then they, they would walk outside and just have a conversation with, with uh, Jim. Like, just, uh, <laughs> just stand here for sound. Yeah, just yeah. sound angry. Well, I'm gonna go. Murder. But you know, they—it's not their fault. There's no date. That's the rule. But come on, man. Like, do the, no, Be cool. Come they go back. Come on. Oh, I'm sorry, sorry, King Faisal. I went to I bat really, for you. Oh, I really went to bat. Yeah. Like I probably, I probably, you know, jeopardized my, lost my exactly. Yeah, yeah, I'm out. Lost points. Shit. Goes, oh, shit. I'm sorry. I didn't. No. I didn't want that to happen. I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, it's, <laughs> it's not your fault. Like, ah, oh, I feel so I bad. Uh, like, no, it's okay. Yeah. It's okay. It's not your fault. Just, like, you tried. You did your best. Like, it's not. It's just. You just work here. Right. Like, yeah, I just. Like, I do. I'm not even supposed to be here today. <laughs> it's my day off. Uh, I just came in yeah. to get my check. Just came uh, in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a throne. I'm sure I'll get another one. Don't worry about it. Thank you for everything you. Yeah. You know, he walks out. And he did get another <laughs> one. They said, look. <laughs> We looked around. Yeah. We all threw in. We took a. We took a. Yeah. We took past a, the hat. A, 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 past the hat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, we got this other one in in Baghdad right. for you. Here. It's not as nice. Not as nice not as, as the swanky, one in but Damascus. Still. But uh, uh, yes. So the French came in 1920, crushed the Arabs, yeah. ousted Faisal, who in, ultimately ended up in Baghdad, where the British declared him king of Iraq. <laughs> He said, "What's a rock? Oh, look, <laughs> whatever you we, make it. Uh, yeah, yeah, because we- <laughs> <laughs> I don't know either. We just own it. It is whatever you want it to be. Look, Churchill got drunk. <laughs> and, That's a rock. Uh, yeah, yeah. He was trying to write. You know, I rock. R O C K. Woo! Uh, I just create fucking countries <laughs> and ten o'clock in the morning. I am a god. Three bottles of champagne for breakfast. Right." I rocked. And people said, how do you spell that? Oh, I don't know. Spell it however you want. Fanatic. Like, right. Fanatic. Fanat- I, guess it, I guess it's probably it's probably Arab. I don't know. Yeah. I don't speak Parsi. We'll just... Yeah. That's how it came up. Uh, which he ruled under British uh, protection. Yeah. Until his death in 1933. Yeah. And then that Not all bad. worked out well. Uh, after that. So the British controlled Palestine and they still thought the Arabs wouldn't mind. <laughs> like the, the basic view of the British was, look, you're getting this, yeah, you're getting look at that. that. Look, we got over. rid of the Turks. Yeah. yeah, okay, look, we're ruling you now and the French, but that's better than the Turks. At least we're not Turks. Yeah. What have you got to complain about? Okay, we're going to carve off a tiny little bit of land a sliver, for the Jews. A sliver. A sliver. Like in the deli. Like 700,000 of you live there, but that's what? <laughs> Who cares? It's okay. You're getting everything. Everything You're getting else. all the rest of it. Why do you want this? Well, because it's ours? Well, no. is, is it, it though? Is it? Is it? Let's ask ourselves that. It was the Turks. It wasn't really yours, right. let's be honest. And there's British guns on it now, so... 
T. Lawrence said there would be no difficulty, he believed, in reconciling Zionists and Arabs in Palestine and Syria, provided (coughs) that the administration of Palestine remained in British hands. And that's fine. Even... Right, go ahead, sorry. Even Lawrence, Tommy Tommy Lowe, as I used to call him back in the day. Right. Tommy the Lowe. (laughs) Even he... Right. Who you would have thought understood the Arabs a little bit better than this. Even he thought, ah, oh, it's going to be fine. Don't worry about it. It's all good. It'll come out in the wash. But does that mean, according to Lawrence or, or people with that same mentality, that the British have to stay there forever? Because that's the only way this could conceivably work. Because we already know the Zionists want their own independent state. We know the Arabs want it. I mean, so I'm I'm shocked by Lawrence's statement. Unless the British are going to stay there forever, which they're not going to want to do, because that shit costs money. Yeah, that was probably what Tommy Lowe was thinking. Mm. It was uh, as long as we are here to keep the peace. Yeah, uh, it should all be fine. Yeah, no problem. No, no problems. No problem. <laughs> Yeah, all they had to do was accept, you know, they get everything else. It's like a divorce. Like, okay, like I'm giving you the house. Right. Just let me keep the BMW. That's all I want. Is and just, the baby I want to give my BMW to the, give the BMW to the Jews. Because that's what started the whole thing. <laughs> anyway, so, so, <laughs> so the British have to watch the Arabs. I get that. But they also have to watch certain Zionists like Vladimir Jabotinsky, who was born in Odessa in 1880. He's a journalist. He travels all over the place. He, conser- he converts to Zionism, and he is a very uncompromising, uncompromising Zionist, if that's the word I'm looking for. So during World War I, he convinced the British government to allow military participation of the Jewish refugees from the Ottoman Empire. So this guy is hardcore. This guy is not going to back down. He's not going to compromise. And as we're going to see later, he doesn't take shit from anybody, not even the British. And in the same time period, 1920, he's going to help organize and lead the Jewish defense movement because clearly they need one called the Haganah, which we'll get into later. But the point is, Everybody's lying to everybody. Everybody's hoping everything works out. But at the same time, some of the elements are manning up and they're getting their guns and they're getting organized and they're looking for volunteers. So it is building no matter what T. Lawrence or anybody else says. Yeah, as we've explained in earlier episodes, this is the era of nationalism. The Arabs breaking away from the Ottomans and they want Arab lands to be in Arab hands. Yeah. That was actually a T-shirt they had at the time. Arab lands in Arab hands. Barry and Stan came up with that one, along with Tung Fu. Uh, And... and, Copy uh, mark. Yeah. And uh, the, the Zionists as well obviously wanted their own lands. So the, these guys, you know, neither the Zionists nor the Arabs really believed that uh, it was going to work out. So they all started to arm up and get ready for a long war. Now, Weizmann, who uh, mentioned in an earlier episode, headed up the first British Zionist delegation to Palestine, went and met with Ronald Storrs, etc. Right. When he did that, he didn't even bother to meet with the Palestinian <laughs> Arab leadership. He didn't come and go, listen, um, hi. Hi. Uh, I respect just you. just wanted to introduce myself. Yeah, shake your I'm hand. I'm the guy that's uh, yeah. organized all of this, right. taking your lands. Yeah. Um, yes, I did invent a new way to make TNT, and I've got some here just in case <laughs> you get uppity. Uh, I'll use it, baby! 
Yeah, he, he thought the yeah. Arabs were dishonest, uneducated, greedy, unpatriotic. And I mean, yeah, he doesn't think much of them, even to the point of not meeting with them. So this this is not going to go well. This is not going to go They're unpatriotic. What? They say they want... They want... <laughs> they're unpatriotic to who? You are the worst Zionist, oh. you Arabs. Go ahead. You, you, you didn't even fight for the Ottomans. <laughs> During the war, when the you Ottomans were oppressing him. you. You're right. so unpatriotic. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, but he and King Faisal, yes. not a Palestinian, obviously, did come face-to-face on June 4th, 1918. Right. The British had sort of put the thumb on Faisal to accept Yes. Zionism. Yes. And he kind of agreed at first conditionally this is still when he's in damascus and right, he believed that the yeah. french were, the british were going to keep the french out of syria right so it was kind of this quid pro quo <clears throat> uh playing the game that you say okay yeah i'll accept zionism in palestine if you keep the french out of syria right the british were like deal done done son <laughs> shake Shake on it, yeah. Not that it matters because, as we saw, like you just said a couple of minutes ago, the French are going to invade Syria. They're going to kick Faisal out on July twenty fifth, nineteen twenty. So now that he is now that the quid pro quo has fallen apart, isn't Faisal now free to say all the anti Zionist things that he's probably been thinking and and wanting to put out there? Now he can just put it out there because, in some ways, he's got nothing to lose. Yeah, well, and, and it's not his territory anymore. Exactly, good point. You know, when it was his territory, then it, you know, he had some involvement in right. trying to keep the peace. Just when bitching. he gets kicked out, yeah, you know, not my problem. <laughs> so, early in nineteen twenty, after the Paris Peace Conference, where Faisal had actually argued for Arab independence, mm-hmm. he was quoted as saying that Jews were welcome as refugees in Palestine uh-huh. under either a Muslim or a Christian government, but if they claimed sovereign rights in the country, I foresee and fear very serious dangers and conflicts between them and other races. Damn. Now, when he said that, the Zionists panicked and organised for the American jurist Felix Frankfurter. Yeah. I've got... uh, I think I've got a clip of... Felix Frankfurter. Say, do one of you guys know how to Madison? Mm. Brad, please, let's get out of here. For God's sake, keep a grip on yourself, Janet. But it seems so unhealthy here. It's just a party, Janet. Well, I want to go. Well, we can't go anywhere till I get to a phone. Well, then ask the butler or someone. Just a moment, Janet. We don't want to interfere with their celebrations. This isn't the Junior Chamber of Commerce, Brad. They're probably foreigners with ways different than our own. They may do some more folk dancing. Look, I'm cold, I'm wet, and I'm just plain scared. I'm here. There's nothing to worry about. How do you do, I? See, you've met my faithful hand in hand. He's just a little broad dime because when you knocked, he thought you were the candy man. 
Don't, don't get, get strung, strung out. out. By the way, I look. Don't, don't judge a book by its cover. <laughs> I'm not much of a man by the light of day, but by night I'm one hell of a lover. I'm just a... Reminds me of Vegas for some reason. I don't know why. Um, Frankenfurter, yeah. Felix Frankfurter, he was a non-practicing Jew, later a Supreme Court justice, helped found the American Civil Liberties Union. Yeah. They asked him to go talk to King Faisal. Oh, Why him? No idea. Just because uh, he wasn't doing much. Highly esteemed American non-practicing Jew, I guess. Hold on, hold on, hold on. This is reminding me when we were doing the bullshit filter on the War on Drugs series. Isn't he the guy that stands up to Anslinger and is able to put him in his place? He's one of the few people probably because of his position, was able to stand up to Hanslick. After you look through my, my notes, but I'm like 99% sure this is the guy that is able to win a small victory against uh, uh, Anslinger. And, uh, but obviously it didn't change the course of history, but he had his moment in the sun um, facing that douchebag. I don't know about that, but uh, yeah, he was like an advisor to FDR, uh, very, very sort of, Influential, mm-hmm. powerful guy. Uh, let me see. Uh, Dan Bound mentions him in Smoke and Mirrors. Uh, see what he has to say. I did. I thought the name was familiar yeah. too. Uh, uh, it's not coming up. Anyway. Oh, yeah, it is. Oh, oh Justice Fearless Frankfurt. It is f- a fair summary of history. Oh, no, it's just quite... It is a fair summary of history to say that the safeguards of liberty have frequently been forged in controversies involving not very nice people. Mm. Okay, there you go. Yeah, That's a quote from Justice Felis Frankenfurter. Yeah. Um, let's uh, talk about uh, the letter that Faisal wrote to Frankfurter that appeared in the New York Times in March of 1919, where Faisal wrote, We Arabs especially the educated among us, look with the deepest sympathy on the Zionist movement. We regard the Zionist proposals submitted in Paris as moderate and proper. We will do our best to help them through. We will wish the Jews a most hearty welcome home. That sounds nice. This, of course, is when he's still in Damascus (laughs) before the French kick him out. Playing the game. Yeah. But... In May 1920, he appealed to Britain to give Palestine to its Arab inhabitants. He wanted control over Palestine. And then in January 1921, after he'd been kicked out by the French, he told British Foreign Office officials that Palestine had in fact been included in the Arab state area in the McMahon-Hussein correspondence. He said Mm -hmm. the Arabs had always regarded both Palestine and the hinterland of Syria as being covered by the pledges. Remember, we talked about this. It was kind of loosey-goosey, the whole McMahon promise. It was like, right. yeah, just yeah. You get everything south of the line. And they were like, all right, well, boom, that includes Palestine, yeah. I guess. Doesn't um, it? It was kept very, very Stalin-y loose. Right. And, uh, now, at the peace conference, uh, Balfour himself sort of took issue with how it was all being carved up he said these three all-powerful all-ignorant men oh, God. 
by whom he referred to Lloyd George, <laughs> Clemenceau, and Woodrow Wilson, was sitting there and carving up continents with only a child to lead them. Oh, the child was Mr. Hankey, who played before the uh, Secretary of his War Cabinet. He was well, 41, but according child. to Balfour, he was a child. Yeah. In the end, of course, Britain kept control of Palestine. And what they found when they got there, when Ronald Storrs arrived, was basically a humanitarian disaster. Yeah. And what's going to make this all more complicated is that before some of the Paris meetings, there were private deals made. You know, Faisal and um, and Weizmann were able to sign an agreement, which is going to fall apart, obviously, after he's kicked off the throne. Um, the British and the French are able to personally, behind closed doors, make their own private deals so the Arabs can do what they want, the Jews can say what they want, but the British and the French are the ones who've got the powers, uh, the, the troops on the ground. They're the ones who are going to decide everything. And the Jews and the Arabs are going to find this out in a very not nice way. So it's just it's just getting more tense for everybody. And again, the theory is if you bring the Jews in, they'll help develop the territory. It'll be good for the Arabs that are there. We're going to totally respect their religion, totally respect their cultures and everything. It's basically trickle-down economics. We're going to develop the area. Everybody benefits, but it doesn't matter because the British – the French are going to do what they want, and everybody else is going to have to learn to just deal with it as it comes out. So when Ronald Storrs got there, uh, he reported a scarcity of food amounting almost to a famine. Oh. He wrote that he saw a crowd of veiled Arab women, some of whom tore their garments apart to reveal the bones almost piercing their skin outside of his office window. Jeez. At a hospital, he saw children with limbs swollen from malnutrition. It, you know, basically, during the war, uh, the, the Palestinians, like you know, many places in war-torn countries, had uh, oh, got right. it from both sides. Yeah. The Ottoman the Ottomans didn't give a shit and the invading troops didn't give a shit and so they uh, ended up th- tens of thousands of Palestinian Arabs had died during World War 1 partially from the conflict, partially from starvation and disease. There was outbreaks of typhus, cholera, smallpox that killed thousands yeah. of men, women and children during that period. The Ottomans had arrested and tortured and executed hundreds of them for being subversives and supporting the Allies. So, uh, it, you know, the the while all of this is going on, the when you know there's talk about a bunch of uh, Jews, Russian Jews coming in, funded by wealthy uh, British uh, Jews, uh, these Palestinians are starving to death. Yeah. And, uh, you know, on the bones of their asses economically. So that's just, it's not like they were all sitting around living in uh, four bedroom houses, right. uh, driving luxury cars and going, oh, right, right. there's plenty of room. Everyone come in. <laughs> These people were poor, starving, dead, dying. And this talk Diseased. of setting up, uh, you know, a, a massive influx of immigration from Europe into their country where they can't even yeah. survive. So you have to think about that aspect as well. And, and if I could just give that some context real quick, uh, real quick because you're right, 
absolutely right. During the war, harvests are seized, mills are plundered, there's a reduction in population, there's diseases rampant. In 1914, there were 657,000 Muslims. In 1918, they were down to 618,000 Muslims. And like you said, starved to death, captured, killed, arrested, or whatever. The Christians went from 81,000 to 70,000. Obviously, they suffered. The Jews, theoretically, now of course these numbers are not exact, they went down about 1,000. So overall, the Jews hung in there. Not that they had much of a choice. There was really no place for them to go because we've already stressed other countries weren't letting them in. So there's starvation, disease. There's a lot of people that are homeless. And now, because Britain owns this part of the world, it's now their problem. In April 1918, General Allenby established something called the Occupied Enemy Territory Administration, OETA, O-E-T-A. Mm-hmm. It was headed by a guy called Major General Sir Arthur Money <laughs> I like that. and Brigadier G.F. Clayton was his chief political officer. Right. Now, as you'd expect, being Brits, they both looked down on the Jews and the Arabs. Money said the Jews of Jerusalem were bringing up the rising generation in their schools to be dirty, idle wasters. Their men turn out more idle wasters and their women more prostitutes than the rest of the population put together. The British know how to turn a phrase, don't they? Just, um, ah, they know what they're doing. Hate everybody equally. you got to admire that about them. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Idle wasters and <laughs> prostitutes. That's horrible. Anyway, yeah. So as you can imagine, they're trying to deal with the situation. They severely limit Jewish immigration. They, and this organization is going to be in charge for two years, from 1918 to 1920. They only let in four or 5,000 Jews during those two years. And we've already talked about tens of thousands coming in with the three Aliotes and the illegal immigration and, and since then. And now they have severely cut that back. This is obviously going to be pissing off the Zionists. But during a war, there's not much you can do about it, certainly after the war. But it's just but it's just upsetting the Zionists who are in some ways absolutely powerless to take on the Brits, at least for now. Yeah. Because it's coming. Uh, money, getting back to yeah. Sir Arthur Money, he regarded the Jews as a class inferior morally and intellectually <laughs> to the bulk of the Muslim and Christian inhabitants of the country. Oh, my God. Uh, most of the British, though, basically looked down on the Palestinian Arabs. Even Lawrence wrote that the Palestinian peasants were stupid, materialistic, and bankrupt. Mm. Clayton, Brigadier Clayton, wrote, the so-called Arabs of Palestine are not to be compared with the real Arab of the desert or even of other civilised districts in Syria and Mesopotamia. Oh, my God. Just Now, despite the fact that they looked down on the Jews and the Arabs, the British at least felt it was their duty. Yes. To manage the situation. Exactly. For Britain. For Britain. I mean, if they wanted to, to keep this area you know, stable uh, so they could use it to control the approach to the Suez Canal, they needed to manage the situation. Yes. It wasn't out of humanitarian interest. It was just, you know, real politic. 
In April uh, 1919, Money wrote to Lord Curzon, Right. The Palestinians, in fact, desire Palestine for themselves and have no intention of allowing their country to be thrown open to hordes of Jews yeah. from Eastern and Central Europe. Right. So he, he wasn't a fan of the whole Balfour Declaration deal here. He said to implement it would involve Britain in the use of force in opposition to the will of the majority of the population. Yeah. Now, say what you want about Sir Arthur Money, <laughs> but he was right on that count. And the British recognised that he was probably right and in June 1919 fired him for not being more favourable towards the Zionists. Good point. Can, can we just go down a tangent for a second? Um, I, I read this and I'd never heard of this before and I wanted to see if you have. All of the different ways that the local, well, everybody who was in Palestine, when some of them, as you said, were being tortured by the uh, by the Turk authorities or whoever was there at the time. I had never heard of putting hot boil or boiled eggs that are still hot under the arm and placing them um, securely under the armpits as a form of torture. Have you had you ever heard of that before? I know the armpits are very sensitive, but I'd never come across that particular form of pain before. No, that's that was, fascinating. There was needles. We all get the needles. We all had needles, you know, and pulling fingernails out. But the but the I, I was thinking, why not just take a rock, throw it in a fire, get it really hot, and put it mm. under the armpits? But why do you have to an egg? But anyway, that was then, one of the forms of uh, torture that was being used. Mm. Anyway, then you make them eat. Then you make it. <laughs> it smells until they get yeah, kind of. <laughs> Funny. Yeah. yeah, they get constipated. They eat lots of eggs. They get constipated, and then you stick a hot egg up their butthole. Right. So oh, I've got a cure for okay. the constipation: hot egg up the butt. Just when you were mentioning the um, the uh, the OETA Occupied Enemy Territory Administration, I, we don't have to go into this too much, but it was supposedly I think they had the British and the French military in there, but. I think it might have just been military officers. I don't think there was too many French troops laying around in this area at the time. But it was I was fascinated when I read it. Like you said, they hated the Arabs, but they also hated the Jews. They thought the Zionists were too close to Bolshevism. And so obviously that wasn't ever going to fly. They thought they were horrible people, that kind of stuff. But what I found interesting was that the Zionists, and they should have checked with uh, – Stan and Barry over this, but they didn't. They would tell these bold-faced lies. They're like, again, look, no, you've got it all wrong. Because right after the war, there was uh, some more anti-Jewish, anti-Zionist um, uprisings in the area. They're like, only a few people, only a, only a small percentage of the Arabs hate us. That doesn't, you know, the, it's, not, it's not the whole country that hates us. It's just a few people who don't understand what we're going to do. When we come in and we take over and we have a state, we're going to build this area up. Streets are going to be paved with gold and everybody's going to be doing well. Even the Arabs, we're going to take care of them. So you have to let us do this. And the British, one, didn't want to hear it in the first place because they didn't like the Jews. And two, they certainly didn't buy it because obviously some of these revolts, and there's going to be more revolts. It was it was certainly widespread is how the a lot of the Arabs felt and the, Jew, and the 
British aren't falling for it, but they, but the Zionists are trying every little trick in the book they possibly can to get in there, to keep their territory, and to one day hopefully create the foundation so that they could they could have a state. But they're literally trying everything they can. But so are the Zionists, and so are the British, and so are the French. The whole place is just it's just fucked. Yes, big big clusterfuck. The whole thing. So. Uh, as I think you mentioned, Aweta, the British, severely reduced the amount of Jewish immigration into Palestine yeah. in the first couple of years that they were running it. I think it was only four or 5,000 Jews over two years. Wow. But the Jews were still making it clear that in their minds, they were going to be the future rulers of the entire land. After November 2nd, 1918, when there was a Balfour Day parade in Uh the Jewish part of Jerusalem, more than 100 Muslim and Christian notables in Jerusalem, headed by Musa Kazim al-Hassani, who was the mayor of Jerusalem, handed Uh Sir Ronald Storrs a petition that stated, we have noticed yesterday a large crowd of Jews carrying banners and overrunning the streets shouting words which hurt the feelings and wound the soul. They pretend with open voice that Palestine, which is the holy land of our fathers and the graveyard of our ancestors, which has been inhabited by the Arabs for long ages, who loved it and died in defending it, is now a national home for them. So as early as 1918, the Jews were publicly... In processions, yeah. making it very clear that this was now their land, God. that they owned, that they were going Not, to control, that they were going to run it. Just sticking it Not in the cool. faces right. of the Muslim and Don't Christians who live there. Right. Um, now, it was at this point that secret societies, extremist secret societies on both sides started to form, pledging themselves to extreme violence to protect the land from the other. In February 1919, a Jewish organization, sorry, a Muslim organization called the Black Hand was established in Jaffa. Its aim was to kill the snail of Zionism while it is still young. Oh my God. Oh my God. Just go after him. Kill him off. Yeah. Yeah. They uh, they put it this way we will push the Zionists into the sea or they will send us back into the desert. (laughs) So basically all or nothing. This is a zero-sum game, and they realize it at this point. Well, when the Zionists are running around saying, "Yeah, this is our land now, we're going to take it over and rule it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There, yeah. there wasn't any way to live together in peace and harmony. It was, the, at least from the view of extremist organizations on both sides, well, no, this was a, this was a yeah. matter of life or death. Well, now. I was going to say, and, and I don't want to, I don't want to make too much of it, but when the Muslims and the Christians get together and form organizations to take on the Zionists, then yeah, the Zionists are obviously out there agitating every other group other than themselves. If the Zionists had been playing the game that the British kind of wanted them to play, yes. I think, which is to say, which is to publicly reiterate over and over again, listen, we don't want to rule the place. No. 
We just want to come and live here in peace and harmony with the Muslims and, and the Christians. British territory. Uh, and, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and by the way, most of us are atheists anyway. <laughs> so uh, all good. So, yeah. That's all good. We, we just want to live here in peace and harmony. We don't care yeah. who the government is. We don't care who the rulers are. We just want a place where we're at least acknowledged in the Constitution uh, in, in the laws of the land that, you know, we can't be oppressed that we'll be looked after. It'll be fine. That's all we yeah. want. But of course, you know, if, if you think of, if you're a Russian Jew, this period, this is only like 40 years after the pogroms in Russia and after centuries and centuries of pogroms yeah. everywhere, you probably don't believe that that kind of, uh, live and let live agreement will ever work. Eventually it's going to come. They're going to come after you. Yeah. It uh, doesn't matter what the Constitution says, what the laws say. Eventually, they're going to come after you because, uh, you know, anti-Semitism ran deep. After 2,000 years of anti-Semitism. Right. Come on. Uh, you know, the, the Jews aren't going to believe that uh, yeah. it's, going to, it's going to go away by magic. So, I mean, I, I get it. But that doesn't mean that uh, it's any easier for the Arabs and the Christians to, to live with that, right. that, that live there already. But... Um, yeah, if, mm. I was just going to say real quick, but that's okay. The Americans are going to come on the scene. Two Americans are sent in. It's going to be called the King Crane Commission. They come in and they talk to everybody. Their job is to gather information and to make proposals based on what they what they what they've heard from the people. So they talk to the various groups and they find out very quickly that these two groups can absolutely not live with each other. Um, There's just no way this is going to work. And again, the Zionists are lying to these Americans, just like they lie to the British, just like they lie to everybody going, this is all blown out of proportion. We can make this happen. However, the truth keeps rearing its ugly head. Moshe, Moshe Shertok, who is Ben-Gurion's chief aide and who's going to be the future foreign minister of Israel, is saying at this time, and I think he might have said it to the Americans, I'm not sure, but he's certainly saying it to the other Zionists. He, has, he said, we have forgotten that we have not come to an empty land to inherit it, but we have come to conquer a country from a people that inhabit it. So let's not forget that we need to get in here, kick these people out, take over, because that is the only way it's going to happen. So you're not going to be surprised that the hear, to hear that the King Crane Commission recommended incorporating Palestine into Syria and to make it an independent Arab state, which is what the Arabs have been saying all along. Believe it or not, the British and the French completely, but they think the Americans, but they completely ignore this proposal. Thank you very much Thank you. for your suggestions, now, but off. get fucked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, officially, the Zionists in public kept trying to downplay the bad relations with the Arabs, yes. saying it's only a small yeah. fringe group of Arab troublemakers. Radicals. Listen, radicals. Yeah, radicals. Yeah. It's all going to be fine. It's all good. Like, we're good. <laughs> They're good. Really, it's, it's fine. All good. Nothing to worry it's about. It's all good. But in private... You know, they, they recognised that this was a major problem. Um, David Ben-Gurion, yeah. later to become the first Prime Minister of Israel, uh, gave a speech to the Vadzmani, uh, the uh, sort of main governing body of the Yeshuv, the, the, the Jewish settlements uh, there. Mm-hmm. He said, everybody sees a difficulty in the question of relations between Arabs and Jews, but not everybody sees that there is no solution to this question. No solution. 
There is a gulf and nothing can bridge it. I do not know what Arab will agree that Palestine should belong to the Jews. We as a nation want this country to be ours. The Arabs as a nation want this country to be theirs. He said that in June of 1919. Damn. So, yeah, as his uh, aide Shertok said, look, this is uh, a binary situation. Yeah. We want it as ours alone. They want it as theirs. And there's no, there's no way around it. One of us is going to win. There's going to be a winner and there's going to be a loser. <laughs> but all this is talking, all this is words. The Arabs have been giving their words. Now it's time for action. So because of all this tension that's been building up, the area known today as the Galilee Panhandle, which is north of Lake Hula, becomes a no man's land. Between It's between the British and the French zones of occupation. It becomes this no man land. It's, it's lawless. Uh, the, the locals out there or the Bedouins or whatever, if you go out there, there's a good chance you're going to be attacked. But the point is tension is building and this is becoming the zone in between the French who are trying to crack down and control Syria and the British who are trying to hold on to Palestine. Yeah, but before we get yeah, to that, yeah. I just want to talk about uh, the Syrian National Congress that took place in Damascus in May of 1919, okay. when the Arabs got together to basically talk about the future of Syria. Um, and by Syria, they meant greater Syria, <laughs> not Syria like we think of it today, right. but the old Syria. Biggin. Uh, which would be a combination of modern Syria Lebanon, Israel, Palestine, and and Jordan. Mm. Keep in mind that this was all part of one land for centuries, and they they want it back. They want it back. They want control over it. They want it to be all part of one country right. with one Arab administration. Yeah. And uh, it, this this Congress was headed by Hashim Al Atassi a Syrian who had been the governor of Homs and, and Jaffa under the Ottomans. Mm-hmm. And when the French finally left, he would later be the first president, in fact, a three-time president of Syria. Oh, he wow. was the president from 1936 to that there be no separation of the southern part of Syria, known as Palestine, nor of the literal western zone, which includes Lebanon, from the Syrian country. And this is when they still had control of Syria. This is where Faisal was still in control of Damascus. And they declared an independent Arab kingdom of Syria Mm -hmm. on March 8th, 1920, with King Faisal declared as the head of state. Gotcha. So the Arabs declared... Ottomans are gone. We are now uh, a, a, an independent state. Right. That was the plan. Thank you very much. Yeah. Th- well, it was their plan. <laughs> Thank you very much. We've had a Congress. Yeah. We've got a king. Yeah. It's all good. Lovely. Yeah. Uh, thank you for freeing us from the oppression yeah. of the Turks. Yeah. Because, um, you know, nothing worse than. We know that the British and the French think there's nothing worse than uh, people being oppressed. Right. Oh, I hate that. Yeah. Uh, and you freed us. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, we helped. Yeah. We, we, we lots of us died in the process. Yeah, but thank you. Uh, thank you to thank you to Tommy Tommy Lawrence Tommy Lowe <laughs> uh, for his contributions. Uh, but the League of Nations met a month later 
April 1920, what's known as the San Remo Conference, and basically ignored everything that the uh, Syrians wanted Ooh. and formalised the British mandate. Oh, my God. And, and, and I, you know, I think this is important. I don't think enough people understand this. Right. After World War I, the Arabs claimed they set up a government, they set up administration. Faisal had been running this land for two years. Yeah. Uh, it, it was done. They were self-governing. The Arabs were in control of Arabia. And then the British and the French, with the support of Woodrow Wilson and the League of Nations, just came along and said, no, no, nah, no. Nah, stamp. fuck you. Right. So, like, you know, when I, when I get ranty, Ray, right. I've been known to get ranty, as you know, <laughs> from time to time. time. Yeah. When we talk about the genesis of World War II, right, where Hitler said, "You know what? Uh, we're gonna we're gonna take Poland and we're gonna take Czechoslovakia," and and the Japanese said, "Well, we're gonna take uh, the Philippines and bits of China, etc." And the British and the French and the Americans went, oh, no. oh <laughs> way, ho, 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 no. Whoa, Tommy boy. No, you can't just yeah. go and uh, take lands uh, for yourself. Fucking crazy. That's not... Uh, Cricket. That's not okay. Yeah. Here we are, like, fucking, what, not even 20 years earlier. And they're still doing this, the, the British and the French. And the Americans didn't do anything to stop them. Right. I mean, so it's okay if the white fucking Europeans do it, but when, the, well, I guess the Germans are white Europeans. So Pretty white. It's okay if the British and the French and the Americans do it. Yeah. They'd just taken the Philippines not long, 20 years before this as well. When uh, the, the Germans or, or the Italians or the, the Japanese wanted to do it 20 years later, no, no. fucking way. Was that, that's fuck, what? No. You're breaking international we've, law. Yeah, we've ended that phase of our history. So Now I know this was a quote-unquote mandate versus uh, occupation, and there's some slight differences, oh, but tell that to the Arabs no. of 1920. <laughs> <laughs> is it you know yeah. you can you can bullshit your way through the legal niceties of a mandate yeah. versus uh, occupation but at the end of the day british armies and french armies marched into walking down the street a country that the arabs had already declared was theirs yes by right of you know we've lived here for thousands of years thank you very much uh and shed blood to defend it the British and the French walked in with their fucking armies and said, fuck you. Uh, no, it's not. It's ours now. What are you going to do about it? So you can you can bullshit to me about, well, it's different. It's like people who try and bullshit to me about Lincoln starting the American Civil War. You can bullshit to me all you want about the legalities of... You know the the uh, what an indestructible and more perfect union looks like. But at the end of the day, I don't give a fuck. Yeah. When armies are marching, yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't I don't give a fuck how you want to bullshit your way out of it. The bottom line is, <laughs> South Carolina seceded from the union. You can sit there and go, well, they're not allowed to. Fuck who? Fucking who says so? They obviously thought they could. It's their fucking land. Right. They said we're seceding. Yeah. And Lincoln sent in an army. Yeah. So you can you can try and weasel your way out of that till the cows come home. The facts <laughs> on the ground are they said, nah, sorry, we're self-determining. And Lincoln said, self-determine this, motherfuckers. <laughs> That's, That's what happened. And now, 
You can you can talk about slavery's bad and the South are bad and all that, and I'll agree with you. But the bottom line is, yeah. Lincoln and Lincoln sent in an army, and Lincoln didn't give a fuck about slavery when he did that. That wasn't part of his rationale. He didn't go, "Well, I'm doing this because slavery." Right. He said, "I'm doing this because the Union is indestructible." Yeah. Not on my watch, uh, bitch. I, yeah. Yeah. I don't give a fuck what you want. I don't give a fuck what your democracy voted for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is what's happening. Anyway, sorry, rant, yep. <laughs> rant, rant over. The point is right. the, the, the Arabs wanted to self-determine and the British and the French said, fuck you and your self-determination. This is, we're in control. Say hello to my little friend. That's what happened here. So fuck off with all of this bullshit about the British and the French loving democracy. Well, Fuck you and your, you know, self-determination Atlantic Charter. Would you concede this? Would you concede that in this area, well, see, there actually there's three reasons the British are doing this. One, and you made this point before, and every historian uh, will agree with you, that the British absolutely had to control the Mediterranean, and as, you know, Palestine, right, right there on the uh, eastern side of it, they have to control the land. I get that. Two, you've got the Suez Canal. They've got to control that because they can't lose their shortcut to the Indian, uh, to India and Hong Kong and the other parts that are making some serious coin for the British Empire. And three, obviously, there's oil in, in, the, in various parts of this region. So I would like to think if it wasn't for the Mediterranean, the oil and the Suez Canal, the British would have been more than happy to let the Arabs determine their, their own political future. I'll give them that. Maybe. If it wasn't for all of the reasons why they didn't give a fuck, they would have given a fuck. Yeah. yeah. That's a short version of yeah. what I just said. But yeah. Yeah. The Australian you version. Know, it gets back to, you know, the basic premise is we, we all believe in democracy unless and self-determination <laughs> unless, of all peoples. Unless. Unless. Yeah. 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 It's always unless. It, it, always it conflicts a, with however care about more. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> We will we will fight for the democracy and self determination of all peoples unless <laughs> it, it affects me. And there's more money to be made right. by not doing that. Right. In which case, fuck That's fuck democracy and self determination. <clears throat> uh, so I don't know how are we going with time here. Fifty eight. Yeah. So yeah, that's enough. Rant over. We'll be back with more rant. Oh, yes. Uh, in our next episode, uh, Ray, oh, would yeah. you agree? I concur. You're doing pretty good. <laughs> I think a lot of people were saying that about Hillary Clinton as well. An iron curtain has descended across the continent. Oh, I'm a pansy. Bit of a cut. military buildup on the island of Cuba. The purpose of these bases can be none other than to provide a nuclear strike capability against the Western Hemisphere. I have a poster of Jesus holding a Glock and it's turned to the side. There's nothing more inspirational than that, my friend. I'm hard. I'm just hard, but I say I take your point, sir. <laughs> it's hot. I am so hot and bothered right now. Get your finger off that. Jesus.
just tell me you have your pants on while you listen to that. That's all I need to know.